coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. There's so many people in this world that want to be right, especially in the workplace. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm more senior than you, so I'm right. You're not there yet. All of this stuff. And that's just fictitious. It's not about being right. It's about being better in this world. It's about us finding right together, right? Which is why you and the the two of us talking is exactly what we want to do because neither one of us are right. We're both right. We're creating a space that is just wants humanity to be better. There is no competition. Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders, and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran, and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message and interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming passion struck. The purpose of our show is to serve you, the listener, by giving you tips, tasks, and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue the passion-driven life you have always wanted to have. Now, let's become passion struck. Welcome back to the Passion Struck Podcast, one of the most popular health and education podcasts in the world. Thank you to each and every one of you who comes back every week to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. I wanted to let the audience know that I will be participating in the 4x4x48 challenge on March 4th and 5th in support of nonprofits or trailblazers in helping veterans overcome post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury. If you're not familiar with this challenge, it was created by retired Navy SEAL David Goggins, where you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. We will have links in the show notes where you can go if you'd like to help support us on this mission of helping veterans. I also wanted to acknowledge our fan of the week, Chris, who writes from the United States. And Chris says, many useful practical steps. Both the interviews and the solo episodes bring so much usable and applicable knowledge that it's worth revisiting and re-listening. Whether you are stuck or not in your life, make sure to add this podcast to your library. Thank you, Chris, for your overwhelming support And I would greatly appreciate that if you like today's episode, that you leave us a five-star rating on either iTunes or Spotify. This will go a long way to support our mission to bring hope and positivity to millions around the world. Today's guest, Claude Silver, is an amazing one. Claude is the chief heart officer of VaynerX, a global creative and media agency, which was founded and led by Gary Vaynerchuk whom she has worked directly for for many years. Claude is also the host of the Emotional Optimism Podcast. She oversees anything and everything that has to do with people at VaynerX, including but not limited to talent management, employee experience and retention, learning and development, coaching, culture, internal communications and recruitment. In today's discussion, we go into her role as the chief heart officer and how it is different from typical chief people officer or human resource officer roles that you find in most companies. What it means to have strong hearted leadership, why misery attracts misery, but simultaneously the right kind of company can help heal misery. What it means to have emotional optimism 
and the role it plays in someone having a powerful and purposeful life. How pretense is impacting emotional optimism, her favorite things about working with Gary Vee, and so much more. Thank you for choosing the Passion Struck Podcast and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to living life passion struck. Now, let the journey begin. We will be right back to the Passion Struck Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And we often discuss mental health on the Passion Struck Podcast and dealing with the stigma of seeking it. Is there something interfering with your happiness and preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, depression and anxiety significantly impacted my life until I took charge, got over my embarrassment, and sought out help. And luckily, there is a platform now that makes it so much easier to take that step and get therapy. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. I highly recommend that everyone turn to BetterHelp to get started and find a therapist who helps you look at things in a different way like they did for me. Their service is customized, accessible, and affordable, and you can be matched with a therapist in just 48 hours. And to that end, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life and is offering Passion Struck listeners 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash passionstruck. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash passionstruck and join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. And I realize all those codes and URLs can be difficult to remember, so we'll put them in the show notes for the episode. Please consider supporting those who support this show, make it possible and free for our listeners. Now back to Passion Struck. So excited to welcome Claude Silver to the Passion Struck podcast. How are you doing today, Claude? I'm great, John. Long time no see. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Um, And I thought a great starting point would be we both come from pretty large companies Uh, during my career in Fortune 51s, we always had a position that was the head of HR. It was typically called the CHRO. You have got a very unique title, the chief heart officer. And I was hoping you could talk about that and the symbolism of that role and how it differs from a typical human resources officer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. CHRO and chief people officer is really the common denominator out there. And I had already been at VaynerMedia for 16 months when Gary and I created this role. And I I was ready for a career pivot. And when I told him I was no longer interested in working in advertising, which I had for several, several years, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I only care about the heartbeat of this place. I care about the people. To me, those are one and the same, heartbeat, people. And then we created this role. I mean, he's great at branding, but really... The heart is about the vibe, the culture, all of the people that go into the culture every single day and make it what it is. You know, so that's not to say that a CHRO isn't spending time in the culture. My one and only job and the only job description I have still is to touch every single employee and infuse the agency with empathy. So right there and then my job description is extremely different from a a CHRO's. I, I, 
oversee that, which is normally called HR. We call it people and experience. But I have a really incredible smart team to do the what the normal HR operational bits. But when it comes to people, I want to know what's going on with them. We want to really, really create, you know, career defining moments here for people. And we want them to stay with us forever, whether or not it's at VaynerMedia or one of the other companies inside of the VaynerX umbrella. But the heart is where it happens, meaning we all come to work after already, you know, we all get on screen, I should say, after already taking the dogs out, going to the gym, maybe arguing with our spouse, maybe putting the kids to school, whatever that is. And, and then we come into work with our hearts, the same heart that just went through those first two or three hours in the morning. And taking care of that is an honor for me and taking care of and working for 1300 hearts, 1300 humans is the only thing I want to do. And that's really what a chief heart officer does. Well, thank you for that explanation. And I remember my time back at Lowe's Home Improvement, and I took over this department. And at the time, we had the lowest engagement score in the entire company. Out of 350,000 employees, I inherited the worst one. And what I found out as I started examining the group, that the issue was completely cultural. They didn't understand how their jobs impacted the customers impacted the shareholders, made a difference to the company at all. And until you kind of created that, you know, I, I would refer to it as a passion struck culture where each and every one of them understood how they impacted the company in a positive way and that their role mattered. Um, it created this huge divide. And once I started implementing that, 18 months later, we were ranked second highest in the company. So I, I think what you're onto is a huge thing. So I happened to read an article um, that you posted on LinkedIn um, almost a year ago. And I'm, I loved a quote from it um, because it says, misery attracts misery, but simultaneously the right kind of company can help misery. And I wanted you to talk about that maybe through the lens of there are many reports about how many people are disengaged at work today. Can you use that quote as a way to talk about how you can turn that around if, if you're in a company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for pulling that up. So you've got love and fear. You've got misery and cynicism, and you've got happiness and possibility. You know, these are, talk about the chasm. They couldn't be more opposite. Misery, cynicism, gossip is always going to be loud and it's going to find other loud voices. However, it's not any more powerful than love, than possibility, than safety, than exuding warmth, compassion, generosity. These are the things on this side, what I just mentioned, these things can overpower in the most wonderful way, misery. And so we need to be making possibility, opportunity, uh, positivity louder. And that's one of the things we talk a lot about and I believe act on at Vayner, which is literally, you know, teaching these soft skills to people as well as the hard skills, really wanting people to 
develop self-awareness and understand how to regulate their emotions. It's just like amazing if you can understand, if a human being, myself, can understand why I might be in misery in a situation or circumstance, then, and I have enough self-awareness, then I could probably figure out how to get myself out of there. No one, I don't believe anyone wants to wake up and be miserable. And I don't believe people want to go to work and be miserable and be full of cynicism. That's just not good for who we are. So the more the culture can surround that misery with with the positivity, with the collaboration, the curiosity, uh, God forbid, the love, the more we will extinguish the misery. So do you think that's what really this human to human connection that you're doing through heart leadership is all about? Yeah, I mean, it's all about connection and it's all about kindness and treating people as not only do you want to be treated, but you think they want to be treated, right? Someone told me about there's the golden rule. And then someone told me about the platinum rule, which was funny. Do unto others as you think they want you to do to them. The thing is, in the absence of anything that we've just talked about, there will be suffering because this is not my way. This is the world. Human beings are meant to connect. We are meant to be in belonging with one another. And that's from the dawn of time. We're meant to be in community and we're meant to be in cultures and subcultures and figuring out the next cultures. So that is what I think helps foster these human-centric, heart-centric, whatever you want to call it, cultures, where people feel like they can thrive, that there is possibility for them to be greater than they are today, that the not only does the HR team, but my managers, my bosses, my leaders want me to be the best me I can possibly be. That's, for me, that's what it's about. And I think the more we can pour that water into the system, the quicker we will solve the great, you know, uh, retention and this, you know, people bailing out of work and people being, you know, with so many mental health, emotional health issues right now, uh, not only in the workplace, just in general, like what, what is the solve? I think the solve is connection. Real connection. Yeah. And, um, an interesting segue, um, my son, who's 23, currently works for Publicis. His company was just acquired by them a few months ago. And I know you have a history of, of working for them as well. Yeah. If you were talking to a, a 22 or 23-year-old right now, just entering the workforce, about the workforce of the future, what would you tell them are the things they should concentrate on learning as hard skills? Well, I'm going to consider relationship building a hard skill. I think it's really important. And I don't mean networking. I mean, let's go a level deeper so that you get to know people in your company or people in your vertical, whatever that is. And you start to build relationships because it, the world does really run on relationships and people. Skills really are commoditized, meaning we can go ahead and find 500 data analysts. But can we find... 500 data analysts with the EQ that we're looking for, you know, that have the heart, that have the leadership qualities, those types of things. So I think relationship skills are incredibly important. 
uh, to go to go after. I think find and figure out what your strengths are and triple down on those. And if that if your strength is building people up, if your strength is creative copywriting, if you're whatever that is, and maybe you need to find a mentor or a coach to help you like figure out what that is, double, triple, quadruple down on that. That's what I will do. Uh, that's what I would say because I think in school we're told two messages. One, focus on your strengths. Two, you better develop those weaknesses. And there comes a time, I believe, in life where you've got the two roads, you know, there's the fork in the road and you want to double down on your strengths. I'm I'm never going to be great at algebra. I spent way too time trying to be great at algebra and I believe I wasted time doing that. So focus on your strengths, build relationships for sure, do what you can to be of value and to take weight off of your manager or your boss's plate. But really wait, just, just do it. Understand what the, the story is that you're trying to tell in a, in, a, in a deck. Understand what the, whatever it is you're trying to do, you know, ask questions, of course, but then like do it, give it your all. And know that if you don't hit it out of the park this time, you'll hit it out of the park next time. You're not meant to hit home runs all day long or else there would be, there, you, you could never learn anything. You'd already be at the best of your game. And at 22, 23, you're just not, you're just not there yet. You haven't learned those critical thinking skills and the strategic thinking skills and the ability to say, you know what, before I fire back that email, I'm going to just take a beat and figure out what I want to say in a way that lifts the conversation, those types of things. So, you know, what I mentioned to you were really all things people would consider soft skills that I consider them high skills and high performing skills. Yeah, well, it brings me to a, a, a good story. I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll keep it short. But when I was, was at Lowe's, um, I was considered to be part of the high potential uh, quadrant. And they brought in, um, the viewer might be unfamiliar with the name of this company, but you won't be, Corn Ferry, which is an international search firm, but they diversified into providing consulting services. And so they brought a team in of clinical psychologists to evaluate a number of us who were at this level. And I went through this multi-day evaluation. And in the readout, um, the clinical psychologist said to me, you know, you've had a meteoric career, um, no doubt about it. But she looked straight at me and she goes, what got you here is not going to get you where you want to go. And my advice, uh, echoing what you said, is she was absolutely talking about emotional intelligence. And that is, I was moving from being a vice president to a senior VP to a C-level relationships, understanding politics, understanding dynamics and how to read people were going to become so important because you can't think yourself out of every situation. Um, so I think what you said and, and that advice, which for me took a couple of years to absorb because I initially reacted like, what the heck is she talking about? But, um, so that leads to a, a question I'd be interested in your input on. Um, there's been a lot of talk over the years about emotional intelligence, but now more people are talking about, um, AQ or adaptability. What do you think? 
as we're in this all digital future we're in is more important going forward? Uh, I'm going to continue to say emotional intelligence. I think if we skip over that, we skip over an enormous opportunity to understand ourselves and, to, and, and for self-awareness. Adapting is, yes, we need to do that. I think every, every single person has to adapt to something or some 100 things in their lifetime. Um, and we're all experiencing a new paradigm shift right now. However, I think without the emotional components, you would only have half of what you need in the adaptive, in the adaptable age. I really do think, you know, we went from, we went from a, an era where work was physical, right? You know, you put wheels on tires, you, you did the horseshoes, whatever. And then we went into the information age. And, and I really think we're going into this other new age of heart, of intuition, of emotional optimism, of adapt, adaptability. But these are all very human skills. These are human skills. They're not skills that we can get from just our brains. These are like internal you know, I, someone just told me the other day that we actually have three brains. We have this brain in our head, we have a brain in our heart, and we have a brain in our gut. And that's probably where we're headed to understanding why we make decisions the way we do, why we would consider adapting. You know, I mean, adapt or fail, right? That's what, that's what we've been told. But I think you need to under, understand yourself a little bit better before you just jump into that water. Yeah, and I think a great example of that would be Tim Cook, because at the time he left Compaq to join Apple, almost every advisor who, who he spoke to said, don't do it. But he said it was a time where instead of trusting, um, in some senses, his mind, he went with his intuition and his gut feeling about what he thought was a better path for him. And interestingly enough, as I've read more about him, um, yes, he, he uses analytics and those sorts of things for a lot of the decisions, but the biggest decisions that he makes, he says he always comes back to a gut feeling of intuition around it and what he thinks is the best way to go. So I, I think you're, you're right there about you've got to tie them together. Yeah, I, I appreciate what he also says about empathy and that, um, you know, the world has turned towards you know, it's all about how many likes you get and how many hearts you get and whatever, but that like, don't let that fool you. That's not what, that's not what it's about. It's about empathy. It's about feeling. It's about connecting with one another. And when people say, leave that out of your career, don't let them, don't let them fool you. You need that. Absolutely. Well, I think that is a great segue going from talking a little bit about your professional job to let's get into um, what you have on your website is your purpose now and your legacy, which is wanting to really give the world emotional optimism. And for someone who's unfamiliar with that word, because um, I have to tell you, before I started listening to your podcast and learning more about you, um, and her podcast is, is called um, Emotional Optimism. It's a great podcast, so please check it out. Um, what, 
what does it mean and what led you to that being your calling? Well, it's a great question. Thank you, John. Uh, and I, have, I happen to have a sweatshirt on just because I was cold today. So um, uh, for me, emotional optimism is actually the opposite of, of another buzzword called toxic positivity. Toxic pos- positivity is, uh, you know what, you had a terrible morning, but it's all, it's all good. It's going to get better. Toxic positivity is, uh, yes, we just had to let 20 people go, but don't worry, you're safe. Like toxic positivity is devoid of reality, I think. Emotional optimism for me is the reason that I put the word emotional first is because of what I said earlier, which is we all, every single one of us, unless we are robotic, have emotions that are going through our bodies and our minds 25 times a day, much more than that, right? And emotions are data. They're literally signposts for us to say, mayday, mayday, I'm getting triggered up here. Mayday, mayday, I'm getting angry over here. I feel happy over here. The emotional part is, when I say emotional optimism, it's not to negate or to shove your emotions away or to pretend that that never happened. It's to identify what your emotions are telling you as data, as information, and then also be able to see the hope, the positivity, the possibility. Because it's one thing to be able to say, yeah, I'm really hopeful. I'm a glass, I'm a glass full type of girl, which I am. But I also want to tell you that I am, you know, I have a dear, 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 dear friend that is uh, suffering with terminal cancer right now. And that gives me a lot of emotions. And I'm really upset about that. And I still have a lot of hope. And I'm still going to get up tomorrow morning. And I'm still going to take a crack at life. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to forget him and forget how I feel when I think about him, you know? So, the reason that it came to me, and that's a question that actually no one's really, really asked me, is um, first and foremost, I'm a real, I'm an emotional person. My parents used to tell me, I think too much with my heart. They'd say, Claude, you think too much with your heart. When are you going to start thinking with your head? And I used to think, wow, there's something wrong with me. Like, I don't know how to think with my head. I don't know what they're talking about. Like, maybe there's this missing chip in my brain. <laughs> wasn't it wasn't a great feeling to have you know but i couldn't help the fact that i felt deeply about things as a real empath and i saw a shaman <clears throat> believe it or not he was also a psychotherapist but he went as shaman uh, when i was living in london and um he looked like gandalf he had an austrian accent like freud or young uh, with a long beard and he looked at me and I thought, wow, that's it. That sums it up. He said, you're the only person I've ever met that can be inside of a coffin and still see the light. <laughs> and it was so profound. And what I meant, what he meant, what I feel like he meant by the coffin is I can hold a lot of emotion for people. I can hold space for people. And I also know that I don't have to have the answers, that it's not about me. And then I can be a passenger and ride shotgun with people in their journey. And to me, you put all that together. And I think that's really what an emotional optimist is all about. It's the ability to feel your feelings. You know that you have the ability to change them or adapt 
with them and move forward. Well, I think that's a beautiful answer. And I'm going to kind of take this a couple steps further uh, down this path, because I, I think it's a really unique topic for listeners of the podcast to explore even more. Um, I believe today one of the biggest things that is impacting people are the pretenses that surround their lives. And I think a lot of people are living in falsehood instead of doing the self-reflection and, and basically ownership of the problems that they create in their lives. And so my question to you would be, how is pretense impacting emotional optimism for people? Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers... According to a recent survey, saying Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to PassionStruck. There, I mean, you and I didn't grow up with social media, but imagine if we had, and look at what's going on right now with the teens and social media and the feel, especially, you know, there's been reports on Instagram and, and, and negative self-image with, with young women the idea that you should be anything other than yourself, that's a, that's a big no-no. And you and I probably grew up with that in our, other, in our own ways. You know, maybe you wanted to be Joe Namath or maybe, you know, I wanted to be, I don't know, Chris Everett. But we didn't have the pressures of social media and that, and, and literally that being kind of thrusted at us 24-7, 365. And I believe that social media, in in if if you're if you are not able to stand on your own right now, you're going to look outside of yourself to how should I feel, how should I look, how skinny should I be, who should I date, what kind of ring should they get me, whatever. And right then and there, you leave yourself. And when you leave yourself, you leave you also leave yourself open. I think to experience a lot of pain, embarrassment, shame. So it's a really deep, deep question because I think that in order to 
experience emotional optimism, what you want to do is get to the other side of that journey. Know that, okay, I just spent five years really hating on myself because I wanted to be like, I don't know, that 22 year old or that model or whatever. And I beat myself up. And now I've spent enough time getting to know myself. I know my triggers. I know my tics. I know what I want a little bit more. And I'm going to go for it, knowing that I have the ability to regulate my emotions, that I have the ability to either digest crappy emotions and have them sink me for the rest of the day, or I have the ability to take these difficult feelings, take the information from them, and move through. So deep, deep talk there. No, it is. And um, I, I want to continue on it because I, I think you're really onto something here. So I, I guess we're, we're, the purpose of this show is to appeal to humanity and our listeners in a way that makes them want to live better, be better, and ultimately positively impact the world. And so I think this whole thing that you're talking about with emotional optimism plays directly into this. And so what, what I wanted to ask is how does optimal, um, um, how does emotional optimism help someone create a purpose-driven life? Great. That's a really, really great question. Um, you know, there's so many people in this world that want to be right, especially in the workplace. I'm right. You're wrong. Uh, I'm more senior than you, so I'm right you're not there yet, all of this stuff. And that's just fictitious. It's not about being right. It's about being better in this world. It's about us finding right together, right? Which is why you and the the two of us talking is exactly what we want to do because neither one of us are right. We're both right. We're creating a space that is just wants humanity to be better. There is no competition. And I think that if you have... If you take the premise of what I just said, and you're brave with your emotions, meaning, what do I mean by brave with your emotions? You're vulnerable. You're a human. You allow yourself to fail. You allow yourself to succeed. You know that you're worthy of all the gifts that this world has for you, just as he's worthy and she's worthy and everything. And you still go for it. You still get out there. You still tell your story. You still try to put people together, bring harmony to the world, all of the stuff that we're talking about. But it's not a race. It's not about who's on, like, who who gets to win. And I think that, you know, when you, when you, even when you think about, and you worked for Fortune 50 companies, and I did advertising for Fortune 50 companies. When you even think about, like, putting things into categorization like that, Fortune 50, SVP, VP, director, like all of those constructs, uh, I don't know if they are useful to us anymore. I believe that they create a feeling of other. I'm not, I'm not a VP. Oh, I'm just a director. Oh, I'm not, you know, and there's this feeling of us and them or on or off the island. And that is not going to get you or I any closer to bringing this evolution and revolution of humanity together. So how do we change the mindset? Understanding that, again, we all come from our backgrounds that we come from. We were all raised one way, the other way, whatever. 
But you, as an adult, get to chart your path. And you get to take what you want in your backpack and leave the rest. So how do we empower people to know that and to help them make wise choices that have nothing to do with us? Wise choices just because we want peace in the world. That's, that's really the question for me. How do we get, how do we do that? And then I think we do that by having these conversations and then taking actual steps forward in sharing and help and just being those mentors to people. Well, there's so much commonality in what you were trying to do. And I loved everything you just said with what, um, I created the passion struck brand to be, um, I think too many people, I use the word subsisting are subsisting in life. They're focused Mm -hmm. on self. They're letting ego drive their actions and everything is self-centered. And where I think we as a world need to get to is the other side of that, which I call the fourth level orchestrators and the fifth level creative amplifiers. And when you reach that level, you're going from a self-centric world to a world-centric vision where the actions that you're taking and the problems that you're solving, you're doing it from the view of societal impact instead of selfish impact. Um, And I'm very hopeful um, that if there are people out in the world like you um, and others that we can start creating this dynamic change um, that we certainly, we certainly need not here only in America, but across the planet. Yeah. Here, here. I, I'm with you a thousand percent. Um, so how, if you're like looking at emotional optimism and you're needing to take the first step, how do you cultivate it? Like, what is some advice you would give to someone if they're like, you know, I, I completely agree with, with what Claude is saying, but I don't know. How do I take that first step? Yeah. Um, so I think I believe that the first step is a step towards self-awareness and understanding who you are and why you tick and, and, and why you're, you know, you get so mad when you get cut off uh, uh, in a conversation or something like that, right? So understanding who you are understanding how to become more accountable for who you are. Those are the first steps. I then think what Susan David calls emotional agility is really incredibly important. And emotional agility is the ability to use your emotions as signposts. That's what she calls them. Literally signposts. And know that you have every right to feel your feelings. You're going to feel your feelings. You're going to have your feelings and use them as data. And so once you have the self-awareness and then start to understand your emotions as data, not who you are, not I'm, not I'm sad today because it's gray out, but I'm feeling a little bit sad today because it's gray out and it's too cold to play. Those are two different things. One is the emotion owns me. I am sad. The other one is the knowledge, but it doesn't own me. I feel sad very different. And then I think right then and there, those two things that then gives you the choice to take your emotions with you and let them devour you or to use your emotions as information 
and, and really understand where they came from and move forward into this world of hope, possibility, open doors, having agency, feeling like you can uh, set a goal and get there. You know, those are things that encompass optimism. But you have to, for me, I think the emotional part comes first because otherwise it's just optimism for optimism's sake. And I don't know if that's heavy enough. I don't know if that goes deep enough into the ground. I think we need ownership here, you know, and we deserve, we deserve ownership. Well, thank you for that great answer. And I just got finished reading the article, the the subtle art of not giving a hoot uh, by Mark Manson. It's something... I put to the side, honestly, for about 18 months because I really wanted to dislike the book. (laughs) I just didn't like the name of it at all. So it took me a while to get into it, but um, he's got a couple premises in there that I think speak to what you just talked about. And one of those is, you know, his pathway in the book to finding happiness is you've got to get rid of the noise and focus on the things that are most important, because that's truly at the end of the day, what's going to bring you happiness, but it's not success. Doesn't come on its own. It's through the negative events that happen in life and the lessons you learn from them that you reach more of a positive state. So I think a lot of that goes into what you were just saying uh, with how a person needs to change. You know, there's so many people who've said, you can't achieve success without pain. And it, and it is so true because unless you experience that failure and grow from it, you're not going to achieve that success that comes from multiple failures. So yeah, I think, and John, I th- yeah, sorry to interrupt you. You won't even know it's success because you have nothing else to compare it to. Right. Yes. If you just hit home, if you hit home runs all day and then next year you get up and you can, you can barely even hit, you know, a ground ball, then you're going to know what success is. You're going to say, God, yeah, I want to get back to where I was when I was hitting home runs all day. But if all you do is hit home runs, how do you know where's the next, what's the next plane to get to just more money? Where else do you, where's the growth in that? Yeah. Well, uh, that doesn't bring you happiness. I can tell you that. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that is all a great backdrop. And I wanted to come back to the Hartfield company because I think it's it's great to give an overview of of what your personal branding is now because I think it ties directly into your role. And I have a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners, executives who listen to this podcast. And if they were leading a company, how do they build a Hartfield culture? I love the question. The first thing is get to know your people. And that means listen. That means make time for your teams, even if they're not your teams, and make time for the people that work for you, work with you, work for the logo, and become accessible and available. Trust them. Trusting is really like, whoa. Trusting first in a workplace, who does that? Like, why don't we trust? Why do we expect John to come in and prove value first? We just hired John. 
Of course we want to be with John. We're going to, we trust John as the human we hire. Now, why do you have to go prove value within your first 30 days? Get to know your people, ask them questions, listen, what motivates them? Is John going to be here? Is he a lifer? Is he going to be, or is he, the minute he has his first child, is he, is he going to move to the suburbs and then say, you know what, come three o'clock, five days a week, I need to cut out and coach soccer. And that's cool too, but find out what John wants. Find out what motivates people. Um, communication is enormously key. And so communication is also listening, but it's also like transparently, like sharing of yourself too. Otherwise, I believe that the, and I believe this is a dinosaur now, but leading from that ivory tower, thinking you know what goes on on the floor and you haven't touched the floor in 20 years, that's not leadership. That's, to me, that's just ruling out of a textbook, leading out of a textbook without touching the, the, the very fiber of the culture. So I can go on and on. I mean, creating safety, how do you do that? Okay, you listen. <laughs> You're there with the people. You make sure that they can get in touch with you, even if you can't text back, you know? And I know, I'm, I, I don't mean like, I'm not talking about like Genentech with 150,000 people. I'm talking realistically. Um, but you got to get to know them. They got to get to know that you are just like them and your blood is red too. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you a great story um, and I'll divide it into two different camps. Um, another story about Lowe's. I don't know why I'm picking that one so much because I, <laughs> I mean, pick Dell. I, I've got to go to Lowe's later on today. So <laughs> really, really get, get me there. Uh, one of, one of my peers was a gentleman by the name of Steve Szilagyi. Um, and at that point he was running all of the distribution centers, and to put this into context, that was probably 28,000 employees. And he eventually became the head of supply chain, which is probably one of the top three or four positions in the company. But I used to get to go with him on visits to distribution centers. And I call this concept speaking with your feet. Um, and it was amazing because if you're not used to a distribution center, like these Fortune 500 retailers have, they were a million and a half to 2,000 square feet large. And we would walk into one and he might not have been there for nine months. And yet he could walk up to about 70% of the people in the distribution center and not only knew their, knew their name, he knew about their kids, he knew about their hobbies, he knew about this. And the performance around his organization improved so drastically during the time he was there reducing cycle time and other things. Um, and he instilled his leaders, the regional distribution um, directors or VPs to do the same. And so I think that's a great example of speaking with your feet and you've got to be out there on the floor living the life that your people are living to truly understand. And I'll, I'll give you the, the reverse of that is in the same company, I had a new boss come in she spent the first three to four weeks in her office with the door closed, um, only coming out to eat or use the bathroom. Then she would come back in. And I remember meeting her for the first time. And right outside her door, I had a thousand employees um, at least. And 
as we were nearing the end of the conversation, I said to her, would you like to go out and meet your people? And she goes, no, that's your job. My job is to influence to the side and above. It's your job to lead your people. And I'm like, wow. And so, you know, in short tenure, but to me, I'm giving the audience the two extremes because yeah. there, there is so much difference between a leader who leads with their feet by being with their people and one who doesn't. So I think that's a, a great way to think about it. I, lo- I love the, that, that paradox there. And uh, I'm, you gave me goosebumps because I can remember bosses like the second one that you experienced and what um, the feeling I got every day, knowing that I, I don't think that person cared if I was there or anyone was there as long as we were bringing in the cash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump to a, a, a couple discussion points about Gary Vee. I don't think the audience would, would love me too much <laughs> if, if we didn't at least touch on it. So one of uh, Gary's famous sayings um, is about the yes virus. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of attack it a little bit different way. I, I think what he's saying is we say yes to too many things. And haven't we all had that peer who says yes to everything and then doesn't deliver on anything and then blames it on everyone else. But I think there's another camp that says we should be saying no to, to, to more things. But I believe one of the biggest issues people face is saying yes to life-altering opportunities. And I think it gets into not doing that self-awareness work, not doing that internal work to when something like you get the opportunity, would you like to join VaynerX? And being a publicist at the time, publicist, you could have said no. Um, how, where, where, what is your thought on this whole continuum? Well, I'm, I'm one that's lived many pivots in my life, many career pivots. And uh, I also think that I learned, I think I learned the, law, the hard way by not having a lot of options in my life, not giving myself a lot of options. As I graduated from college, I just did what was next. I'm sorry, as I graduated from high school, I just did what, what, what was next, which was went to college. And I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't ready. It was not a good use of my time for those first two years. I got into bad shit. Excuse my language, just bad trouble. Um, And that's because I, A, just, I followed the herd, even though I knew in my gut, I wasn't ready and I didn't listen to my gut. However, once I did listen to my gut, I was on the 10 year plan. I graduated college when I was 28. And in between those times, I learned so much about life and I learned about myself and what made me ache and what made me joyful and all of those things and what, and what I really wanted to do. And it was very, very clear to me that I wanted to be of service, extremely clear to me. And uh, I, you know, I don't know how I ended up in marketing and advertising, but it was San Francisco in 1998. And there you go. Um, one thing led to another and my big background in psychology and human behavior opened doors to become a strategist. And, and then, you know, I dabbled in project management, dabbled in account direction. And then next thing I know, I'm living in London. And, 
you know, I just kept, I kept on saying yes to opportunities because I hadn't had the opportunities in my earlier years. And as I got older, I realized that time does go pretty quickly. And by the time I was 45, I thought, okay, well, I'm on the back nine over here. So what am I going to do with this back nine? And I want to do what it is I'm, I'm put on this earth to do, which is to work with and for people and to be of service. And then I pivoted my career when I told Gary I didn't want to do advertising anymore. So to, that was you know more backstory than anything. But it's like when someone says to me, Claude, I, I, the recruiters keep on hitting me up on LinkedIn. And I say to them, listen, I would never say no to a conversation. You just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm in the camp of yes and. I'm a yes and person, which is yes and context, context, context. Tell me, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Um, I think when, you know, Gary says sometimes, you know, when we say yes to so many things that that means we're in every meeting and we don't need to be in every meeting. And then we've lost our entire day because we felt we couldn't delegate or we couldn't trust the person on our team to go to that meeting. So we had to be there. You know, that's, that's where he's coming from too. And, uh, and he's got a real point there because that's not how you become more efficient and get a half an hour back in your work day just for you, or you get to leave work and, you know, go, go to the gym or whatever. So it's a long-winded way of saying I'm in the yes and camp. Okay. Well, I think the yes and camp is all about intentionality because what too many people do today is they focus on what appears to be urgent, which is so easy with social media and everyone's opinion about everything that we lose track of what's important. And I think that's an easy way to think about your yeses and nos. Is it, Stephen Covey had a great way of looking at it. You know, is it urgent and impactful? Then do it. If it seems urgent, but is not impactful, then you don't do it. Um, Harder said than done, but- Yeah, um, but point, but good point. I mean, obviously he, yeah. He knows he's, a thing or two about it. I was going to say, he's, uh, he's got something, something there. Well, well, Gary V is such a powerhouse and he is so well-known and adored by his fans for telling it like it is. That has to make for an interesting work environment. Can you speak to it? I mean, it's, it's, by far the best work environment I've ever been in because there is no pretense because it's just there because he, what you see is what you get. And he does tell you like it is. And he's extremely thoughtful, extremely, I'm going to say kind, you know, it's even in the times in which he's telling you something that he's adamant about, there's still, there's still a goodness there if that makes sense. So I, you know, I've never had a boss and a mentor like him. And, you know, he's a wonderful friend as well. Um, Gary is all about speed. In order to get to speed, you must create safety first. You must create a feeling, an actual true feeling of safety on your floors. And we talked about this already. How do you get there? You got to get to know your people. And you got to know what makes them tick. 
and that they're getting married and they're going to Aruba. And so let's go ahead and make sure that they've got a bottle of champagne waiting for them when they get there or that they are getting in, you know, whatever it is, you've got to know your people. And uh, that's how you create safety first. And then you've got to scale that. You have to lean on your senior management, senior leadership to scale that. And so, you know, fortunately he's trusted me to do that. And my job is to do that and to get other people to scale that exact same thing. And, you know, it's funny, like Gary V and Gary Vaynerchuk are the same, but the Gary V you see is actually louder than the Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, the Gary V that's a brand. Gary well, Vaynerchuk is, is, uh, is very chill and very direct. <laughs> well, I, Thank you for that look in of what the company is like. And I think that's a great way to think about him in those two different perspectives. I have been, um, it's been very comforting for me to see him um, evolve over the years as I've listened to him because he becomes very vulnerable in talking about some things and one of those was um, the way he was leading some of the hires he made. And it was interesting to see him speak about um, how he thought that some of those things were on him as much as they were on the person because he set them up for either success or not success. Um, and so I thought that that was a great thing for people to hear as well, is that you yeah. had a leader like that who l looks at... Uh, the problems they created and takes responsibility for it. So, yeah, I mean, accountability is, I would say his first, his, his first tenant. Okay. So Claude, um, I wanted to allow you to give the audience a chance to understand how to connect with you. So I'll Thanks, let you do that now. All right. Thanks, John. Um, yes, please uh, hit me up on my website, claudesilver.com, LinkedIn. I get back to everyone that writes me, Instagram, um, my podcast, and uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Okay, I'll make sure that is all in the notes. I would really recommend people listen to some of your short podcasts Thanks. because I think they're really to the point. I love the one on journaling. If you're looking, for a way to start journaling. She gives three great points. Mm -hmm. um, I want to listen to the one you just released today. I think it was with Mike Mertz. That seemed like a great topic um, yeah. as well. Um, so I, I closed the podcast by doing a quick rapid round, just the first kind of thing that comes to your, your mind. Okay. So I'll ask you three or four questions. Um, is there a mantra or motto that you use more than anything to influence your life? Yes. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Maya Angelou. Okay. That's great. Um, you are selected by NASA to be one of the first astronauts to go on Mars and you can select one law or rule. What would it be? Um, it would definitely be um, uh, equality of humankind, equality, equality across humans, whatever we find up there. <laughs> uh, and so I guess it's, um, it would be that, and it would also be um, the golden rule. 
Okay. Is there a favorite book that you've read recently that you would recommend to the audience? Um, I just finished Brandy Carlisle's autobiography called Broken Horses, which I would definitely recommend, especially if you are a, a Americana lover of that kind of music, which is great. Um, I read uh, Dan Pink's A Whole New Mind uh, a very, very long time ago, and it was life-changing for me. So I'm going to suggest that. Okay. I will put uh, both of those and the other you mentioned earlier in the show into the show notes. Um, so the listeners have those resources. Okay. So the last question, this is always one of my most favorite ones to hear people's response on is if you could meet someone you have never met living or dead, who would, who would that be? I I'm going to say the Dalai Lama because um, peace, kindness, compassion is what he is all about. And what I believe you and I have just spent an hour talking about and what I, I believe I'm about. So um, I would definitely want to meet the Dalai Lama. I would want to meet Amy Schumer because I think she's hilarious and gets it. Um, and, you know, I probably would want to meet uh, Harriet Tubman. Okay. Well, those are three great answers. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank well, you. Well, Claude, you were an absolute delight. And I know the audience is going to get so much tremendous value from your wisdom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. Great to see you. Great to see you too. What a fantastic episode that was with Claude Silver. And we shared so much wisdom around emotional optimism and what it's like to work with Gary Vee, how you get heartfelt leadership and so much more. And during today's discussion, she mentioned a number of books. And I want to tell you that in addition to the show notes where we'll place those books, you can also go to passionstruck.com slash books, where you can see a listing of all the shows, recommended books, both from me and from the guests that we have on the show. These all have links on them that have affiliate codes and all the proceeds from buying any of those books goes to keeping the lights on here and helping us provide free content globally. And if there's a person like Claude that you would like to see me interview or a topic you want to hear me do on my solo episodes, you can reach out to me on Instagram at John R. Miles or on LinkedIn at John Miles. And if you're new to the podcast or you want to share this with a friend or family member, we now have starter packs. These are collections of your favorite episodes, which we categorize by topic to make it so much easier for you to go to one place and learn about everything that we do here on the show. If you're interested in checking that out, go to passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. And if you'd prefer to watch instead of listen to these episodes, you can go to our YouTube channel at John R. Miles, which has over 225 different videos ranging from long form content like today's episode, videos we call mindset moments, which are two to eight minutes in length and give you a great short dose of inspiration. Now, go out there and live life passion struck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, Please subscribe to the Passion Struck Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes 
and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion Start community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.